this is Leah Harris with Sheets the Wind, and this is my first podcast. Sheets the Wind is a lifestyle guide for everything wine country, specifically Healdsburg and the surrounding areas. Go to sheetsthewind.co for great ideas on what to do when you come visit Healdsburg, or if you live here, it's a great resource to send your friends and family that come in from out of town that want to know what to do. I was born and raised here and have become quite the concierge chest for all of my friends, family, and colleagues from out of the area. I used to keep a dated word document I'd send out or spend time crafting laborious text messages to everyone who asked almost weekly. And then I had a genius idea to put together somewhat of a creative escape and place all my knowledge in one place on a website. So check it out, sheetsthewind.co, because .com was taken. As part of my blog, I want to interview a winemaker or wine label entrepreneur every month or so and share that interview with you. Today's podcast is an interview with one of my dearest friends, Sam Lando of Lando Wines. Sam is entirely self-made and an incredibly hardworking guy, but also pretty humble and super grateful to all the people that have guided him along his career. So let's get to it. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today. I can't wait to share your story. Wine is so personal, and it's truly like the equivalent of eating from someone's kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's so, so personal. I feel like it's almost like art. I I love the story of the artist behind mm-hmm. the paintings. That's why I fell in love with mine and married him. Mm-hmm. But And I love to know the stories behind each painting and what inspired something. And I'll never forget when I was at this gallery in San Francisco, and I was loving this giant magnolia painting. It was mm-hmm. stunning, and it was like six by six feet foot square and I asked the um the gallery uh, owner what the story was behind it and she told me this miserable story about this horrible artist this artist who was super depressed and and like borderline suicidal and oh. and and it totally ruined the painting for me <laughs> of course that, I was compl- well, that symbolizes <laughs> like, uh, confusion oh. and death oh, yeah okay yeah. so I do not want that hanging in my house and I think a lot of that goes to wine too when I go wine tasting and yeah. and every bottle of wine that I taste when as I've collected my wine throughout the years so it so reminds me every time I open that bottle it's like a photograph and I think yeah. of I think of that experience that I had mm-hmm. tasting that wine for the first time, who I was with, what we were doing, what so it smelled true. like. Like I can totally picture that in there. And so when you talk about um, you know, your personality and the wine mm-hmm. and, and that is so important when you do your different wine events and the wine auctions and the and the personality behind that, people naturally love you and so it's a good thing you make good wine because I, it, it would be really bad for me crappy wine. Like, oh, he's got a decent personality. This wine really sucks. No, it totally helps, but, but I, I just it, want to bring that up. It, it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I good wine is a catalyst for so many other great things, great conversation, mm-hmm. great food, and I, I've I've said this to many people over the years that when you have good company decent wine really good food and god forbid you have some music oh it's just it's those are the the four cornerstones of just an enlightened experience and i love it and when you you take some of those aspects um and and roll those into some of these other events like i I mean we're we're a relationship-based business i like people and those i want to sell our wine to our friends to new friends old friends people that like what we're doing and it's it's all about a relationship and you know like I was mentioning earlier all those emails I love it I mean it's great because these are the people that I've, I've built relations mm-hmm. with and they're they're truly genuinely friends and that that to me is exhilarating and 
I'm taking time away from the family and the kids to be out of town or to be doing a tasting or doing a dinner and sharing our experience, it's got to be of value. It's got to be good people. And that, that to me, is uh, that's electrifying. That's what makes me feel good. Before you talk about what you're doing with Lando Wines and your philosophy on winemaking, can you first bring us back to the beginning? In order to appreciate where you're at today, it's essential to hear the story behind the story. So true. Leah, thanks for having me. Um, So background-wise, I grew up in the East Bay, in the Bay Area, and I came up here to Sonoma State uh, College to go to school. Gosh, that was back in the early 90s, 91, 90, 91. Um, and like a lot of folks, started putting my way through school uh, working at restaurants. Uh, worked for a little family-run business uh, called Cattleman's up here, <laughs> and uh, which was great. I mean, but, hey I mean, man, I worked for Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, they, they were awesome. No it was good. Right. Taught, I think everybody should work in a restaurant at some point in their lives Absolutely. to learn how to treat people, Absolutely. Uh, how to be treated, and how to treat, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, but it was funny in those days. Uh, you know the good wine in that restaurant was in 55 gallon drums on tap <laughs> and it wasn't like today where there are actually good wines and kegs um, so anyhow I got involved with wine buying and got to know a lot of folks in the Sonoma County wine industry as well as Napa had a great love for it but had no idea that it was even an option for a career when you were going to Sonoma State were you studying wine or were you what this were you wasn't studying even on the radar so what did you uh, think you wanted to do before business management marketing okay. I and mean, I knew I knew business-wise, some aspect, there was going to be something I wanted to do. But my professors in those days, it was, you've got to go work for a big consumer packaged goods brand. You've got to mm-hmm. work for an advertising agency. Mm-hmm. So, Craft. I, mean, I spent like, mm-hmm. six months just literally taking a handful of resumes and beating the streets in San Francisco, cold calling, going to ad agencies. And finally, this one place was, uh, I think, dim-witted enough to bring me on and interview me. And it was only because... The HR gal was uh, from Sonoma State. She went, oh, this would be cool. Ah. Uh, so lo and behold, beat out a lot of other prestigious college folks, and they offered me a job. And so this was one of these serendipitous turns where uh, I stopped in Oliver's Market in Katati to buy a pack of gum on the way down to the city to sign this contract, and I ran into this guy who was stocking the wine shelves. He's like, Sam, what are you doing? I said, oh, I was super excited. I'm going down to the city, going to sign this contract, six months, going to move to San Francisco. Where do you get going? And he just looked at me and goes, no, man, you know wine way too well. I've been down your path that you're on right uh-huh. now. Don't do it. He said, let me call my boss. And I mean, this is way before cell phones. Uh, he said, you know, let me get <laughs> a couple of courses. Do, do you have a quarter? i got to go to the payphone. <laughs> and um, so he called. And the irony is, you know, here we're sitting in my little office in Healdsburg. And this company was called uh, the Wine Alliance. And it was oh, a no small uh, little company that was owned by a Canadian group, Hiram Walker. And they just purchased this funky little brand called Claude Bois. And so I started talking, he got me this interview, I came up here, and the gentleman who became my first mentor just laid out a career path for me. He said, uh, when you graduate school, I want to put you back into school to learn viticulture and enology. Uh, I want you to work in our hospitality tasting room for a year, year and a half, and then I want you to do sales in Sonoma County. And then after a year of that, I want you to do sales on the West Coast, and then we're going to bring you in and teach you how we do brand management and marketing. And so, you know... After we get through this whole thing, I mean, I'm just completely titillated going, this is awesome, I didn't even realize. And I said, well, $10 you know, word, what, by the way. what, yeah, what, uh, what, what kind of starting salary are we looking at? And mind you, the advertising agency for a junior ad executive, no benefits, and it was something like $14,200 a year. What? Oh, yeah, no, it was You were going to take that? Oh, uh, you, you live with six other people <laughs> oh in a flat in San Francisco? Francisco? Totally. Oh my God. So he looks and he goes, well, you know, starting out, how about, you know, 32,000 in full benefits? And I'm like, sold. Done. Let's go. Winner. 
So <laughs> you was, already doubled your it, salary. It you hadn't so, gotten started yet. And, and he was going to train you, and it totally. was right in your wheelhouse for everything right. that you're passionate about. It was absolutely outstanding. So that such well, Sam, I mean, think about that. You got to combine your passion in life with your career. Yeah. At the very, very beginning. The very beginning, and still trying to face. So I knew. I knew probably within the first year of being there that I eventually wanted to have my own brand. I just didn't know how, when, what manifestation. And that, during that time, that was when I met Jen, my wife. And, and didn't you guys get engaged at Clodobois? We met. You we met, met at Clodobois. Okay. I was entertaining a bunch of sales guys, and the uh, hospitality manager, who was kind of like a second mother, came into the back room and said, Hey, Mr. Lando, there is a very large busload of hot women. <laughs> Would you the guys mind coming to help entertain them? <laughs> Let's go. Uh, but we just as soon as she walked in, we met eyes, and I went, "Oh, this uh-uh. I like her something." All really these things cool. just land in your lap that yeah, end really up weird. being what you want. Totally. So that was. Uh, but she recalls even on our first date, me telling her, 19 years ago, that eventually I'm going to have a wine brand. We're going to do something. And I didn't know what it was. So you knew from the very beginning, right. you started tailoring your career towards how to get there. So it was really neat to have that approach of I want to learn everything uh-huh. I want to and and that was my original mentor he said I want to have a marketing and sales guy that knows how to grow grapes and knows how to make wine and can walk the walk and talk the talk with everybody and really become this thing so uh, from there um, after five years with them which was just fantastic uh, got recruited to Barron's Wine Estates and it was another large group mm-hmm. uh, but again a killer group of people uh, I was one of the youngest youngest that they brought into the senior management team that hadn't been there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So being with all these people that had seen, I mean, my my mentor there invented White Zinfandel. <laughs> oh and God. she was just, I mean, just hanging out with her. <laughs> she, it was like the old martini lunch. I mean, every day she was, she'd have two Shut martinis up, at that's lunch. That's so fantastic. Um, well, you know, it's like um, when you're playing a sport, like you always play better. I always play better tennis when I play up with exactly. with, with um, people to. that are better exactly. than I am. So when you come in at a job where you're with all of these people Rise that are to the challenge. so experienced and totally. have all of this under their belt, you can not only learn so much from them, but totally. you also perform, I think, at a higher level. Agreed. So it was, it was really cool because with that, the whole goal was, it was definitely very different than where I was at, at Allied Mecca or um, the Wine Alliance. This group, they had been purchased by a large private equity group and they were looking to recapitalize or sell the business. So it was all about optimizing the quality of the brands, buying new brands, selling brands. And it was all this very different, higher level mm-hmm. strategy, uh, planning and execution to really increase value to use a lot of you know, modern day buzzwords. But that, that entire experience taught me in a completely different level of operating skills, uh, which was just fantastic. But it was also at that point where I went, whew, I realized I do not want to work in corporate I was just going to say that that sounds completely opposite of what you're doing today. Yeah, but totally. also, I feel without that experience too, it could probably help not it only did. shape you, but it really will help you when you're managing your own business. It, and, and everything from all these experiences really started to distill everything down. Uh-huh. Having your mind going, okay, I know how to do this. Uh-huh. Boy, I sure don't like this. Yeah. Let's keep going. What else? <laughs> so, so from there, when we transacted that company to the Australians, we had, uh, most of us had terms of employment where we had to stay on for X amount of time. Mm. Uh, after mine was up, I got recruited to William Salyum. I knew that I wanted to work with small little guys, take this breadth of information uh, and knowledge and be able to help some other guys. That's a big leap to a huge, lux- hugely luxury brand. Now, were they yeah. were they up on top at that point? They were kind of trying to claw their way back. 
So they had been purchased from the original owners by a gentleman out of New York named John Dyson. Mm-hmm. And they had four years of trying to figure out how, and it was, it was unheard of in the industry at the time. Here, an out-of-the-industry guy comes in, and not a corporation, mm-hmm. that's private interest, private equity guy, and buys this little brand from two people who just started to create a lot of fame and acclaim. Hmm. And so transitioning the original owners out, it's different when you have a corporate entity that kind of puts in another cog on the wheel. This was a whole different thing, and he didn't buy any assets, no land. Uh, there were there was nothing. There were no tangible assets. Not even the winery. That that was all leased space. Huh. So he bought a mailing list, wine and barrel, and barrels. And so the whole thing was trying to optimize this and figure out how. So my time in at Behringer was really starting to develop not only traditional marketing, traditional sales, but all this new direct consumer. How do you create relationships with mm-hmm. people? So when I came in there, I said, all right, here's a plan. Let's figure this out. Let's rebuild these relations and connections, and let's introduce Bob Cabral to everybody. So had he been the winemaker already? He had been there. He got hired on in 99. So and you came I on came in? came on in 2003. Okay. So they had had a couple of years and some real interesting ups and downs, and we really just got back to the basics. So you were instrumental in making that brand personal and bringing it back to... I don't know if I would say instrumental. I would say at least a guiding point uh, to kind of at least build things back. I mean, all all the pieces were there. It was just Mm -hmm. making sure that everybody was doing Mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, And Bob was certainly making killer wines. It was just retelling the story, figuring out different ways to tell the story. and Marketing. Yeah. So that was great. Did that for a certain amount of time and then uh, did a short stint with Pat Coletto as his uh, national director of sales. It was just one of those other things that I hadn't done. After three years of William selling, it was was doing 65 miles an hour down the freeway on cruise control and going. And Pat Coletto offered me, hey, come work with me for two years and let's do this wild, zany. Okay, let's give that a shot. So what did you do there? National sales. So it was traveling so you were 70% on of the time. The, that's when you were on the plane all the yeah, time. No, I remember brilliant. that. And it was right when Henry was born, my son. So I told Pat at Pat Coletto, I said, I will give you two years. As soon as he <laughs> starts understanding daddy's not here, uh-huh. I gotta, I've got to stop. That's fair. Uh, but during that time, even at William Selliam, I met these two knuckleheads uh, that were, were working at John Ash, uh, Dan <laughs> Costa and Michael Brown. And they had started Costa Brown, and we were doing similar events. We were all playing in the same sandbox sure. in the Russian River. And you know, we had said uh, you know, over many copious beers that, gosh, it would be a hell of a lot of fun if we could all work together. some point in time, if we could all get together, it would be fun. I said, well, if you guys grow up and you need <laughs> a GM or a head marketing guy or whatever, that would be a lot of fun. So you know, I was towards the end of my term with Pat Coletto and... Uh, Again, this was another one of those turns. I was sitting on a sidewalk in Cleveland, Ohio, entertaining 12 distributor guys at a restaurant, speaking with Jen over the phone. She was pregnant with Emma. Henry's screaming in the background. Jen's crying. She goes, this sucks. I can't, you're gone. And you know, I'm hating my life. And I'm going, hey, sweetie, I've only got, I've got four more months yeah, on this. I, I mean, just, we agreed this was the right thing to do. I needed to have this experience. And uh, you know, I'm going to start looking when I get back. Hang up the phone. Phone rings again. It's Michael Brown. He goes, "Guess what? We grew up." No, and that's so cool. It was just, just I have chills. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> um, and and he and Dan and had copious meetings with Dan and the guys and and again it was just kind of it was coming in. There was already a huge wave of momentum. They were getting great ratings, uh, but it was how do how do we work this? Mm-hmm. And how do we keep taking it to another level? And how do we do it better? And God damn, it was so much fun. I mean, it was. 
the work hard, play hard, uh, love so everything about what you're you doing. You brought that company from such a tiny little thing up to this monster. Oh, and it wasn't just, it was, I, again, I felt like I was a little cog on the wheel that was already moving. I was a compliment to everything that was already happening. And uh, boy, they were just, Michael was making killer wines. Dan was doing great work. Chris Costello was doing all of his magic mm-hmm. on the business modeling and everything else. And it was, it was really cool. But also during that time, as I was mentioning, we started having killed children sort of make, hobby winemaking, making some wine. And my brother-in-law uh, came into ownership of a little vineyard in Geyserville. And one night, uh, this was, God, what was this, 2006, uh, we were overlooking some of the Merlot, and I said, gosh, man, if you give me a ton of Merlot for free, I bet I can make better than a $20 bottle. <laughs> and so we started that vintage, and uh, you know, just doing some work in the evenings after all my technical duties uh-huh. were done. And, uh, man, that first vintage, we just gave it out to friends and family, and everybody was going bonkers. I remember. They said, oh, my God, can we? So the next thing you know, we had people helping us buy barrels. Uh-huh. We had people buying more fruit for us. And it got to this point in 2012 where I'm looking around, and I'm going, wow, we've got eight barrels of wine. Oh, my God. This is not a hobby. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> so, yeah, sat down with Jen and the kids, and this was in June of 2012, so not that long ago. And I said, you know, I can keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I can be, you know, a senior person of somebody's winery until I'm 65 years old and we can live a good life, good existence, or I can rob my 401k, we can create a brand with our name on it, and I can do everything I've done for everybody else and I can try and do it for us. Oh my God. And it was always... That's like terrifying yeah. and exciting at the same time. I think, you know, that's right after Costa Brown had sold, right? And they're doing all this yeah. restructuring and trying to figure out oh, your yeah. place in the business. Oh, and yeah. I think it takes a giant change in your life where you're forced to make a new decision totally. before I mean, I'm incredibly risk averse. I have been at the same company for almost 19 years. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I can't, I just can't bring I myself to do something. It's, it's totally so scary. It. So to make that big leap and do something different like that and put your whole, I mean, you put your whole oh, life yeah. on the line, like literally putting your money where your mouth is. Exactly. And it's, it's been, uh, you know, so at the end of 2012, I left Costa Brown and, uh, you know, it was, I resigned. We had some restructuring of our contracts and agreements, mm-hmm. and my new contract was loaded with you know no competes and you can't do this, you can't do that, and here I had everything in. And I remember I came home and you know Jen does not use profanity that often. And I remember I told her I said you know I resigned my job and she's what the fuck? <laughs> what are we gonna do? And I said I don't know. We've got you know at least two months in savings and. Uh-huh. I think I have some marketable skills. I think, uh, uh I'll, yeah, I'll able... I mean, your whole yeah. career had really teed you up for this totally. on a platter. You really had checked every yeah. box underneath what yeah. you needed to do to run a business on your own. Totally. And I, and I said, you know, I, I, I can, I'll try to find some consulting clients. I will, we'll figure, figure out so how to bring scary. in some income while we're Two growing kids, this thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wife, and, uh, single income. It still, still makes my ass pucker. About <laughs> it. I mean, it really does. Um, but you know here, uh, and, and then we started with 2012, and our our Pinot's sit in barrel for 18 months. So you have to have oh, all so the money to do wait, another vintage right. even oh before you sell one bottle of wine. So <laughs> you know here we are today, and you know the the business is doing great. We can't we can't make wine fast enough. I mean the 15 vintage that we have this year, I mean we just got I don't talk about ratings. We just got some really damn good ratings. Talk about today. it. Kick ass. Do talk about I mean, it. Uh, uh, Compared to my, my other colleagues in the Pinot world, we got like a good Academy Award yesterday from the Spectator. I mean, Sam. our Russian River Pinot just got a 93 point rating. <laughs> and we're completely sold. We've been sold out of it since, you know, we 
much as I could do to And this is Brown, the 15? 15. Oh we only God. sell the wine twice a year. So that wine was sold out in three weeks in mm. February. And Holding it's, on to every bottle I've got. But it's so darn Ooh. cool it, just to have the wine spectators, by all intents and purposes, number one rating yeah. critic in the world, yeah. right? Some people. They are the Robert Academy. Parker, exactly. <laughs> but it, uh, to have that, and that was just, you know, we only do two Pinots right now. So it's the Russian River and Sonoma Coast, and yet. We still don't know what's going to happen with Sonoma Coast. And it's not as if you can ask, is that going to be below? Is it going to oh, be above? Same, right, because that was just for the Russian River? This was just for the Russian River for this one piece. Well, and that's not even that's not even the single vineyards yet. Right. So oh. all the other Pinots that were mentioned in this, the other eight uh-huh, Pinots were uh-huh. all single vineyards at twice the price. Oh, my God. Okay, so talk yeah. about that. Because you your resume is filled with these luxury brands. Mm-hmm. Your wine, you just won Pigs and Pinot year before last mm-hmm. and stacked up against all these other big brands. Mm-hmm. And big names. I mean, at your, I think you have a pretty modest price point. We do, and you know, and the thing is, we, I wanted to, I want. We don't own any vineyards. We don't own a winery, but I'm handy enough in the vineyards. And also, the other thing, we're incredibly worth mentioning, is you know, I, I like. To, I'm not a winemaker. I'm a decision maker. I've got, a, mm. I've got a decent palate. Um, I like to do a lot of the grunt work, uh, whatever I can help with. But thank goodness we have an awesome. Winemaker. Talk about your winemaker. When I left Costa Brown, she was one of the first people that called me and she said, Hey, I got this great idea. I know you're pretty good at playing around with some of the wine, but how about you let me help you out with some of the finer points of winemaking, like biology and chemistry? And you <laughs> Just can help that. Me out. Yeah, and you can help me out with some marketing and sales for my little brand that I'm kind of playing around with. And so it was after that first vintage, after 2012, we were both sitting there having a beer, going, You know, this is, this is kind of cool. I like working with you. And it was. So she's she's actually she's a partner in the brand. I've given her some equity. Nice. Um, and she is just, God, she's so phenomenal. So from the winemaking perspective, you're doing kind of the vineyard management, managing the picking kind of stuff. Oh, and she, she does that too. She does that too. And so then so she really just gets into the actual biology chemistry part. She, well, and, and she is everything. I mean, my, I am very basic. I mean, I we have the ideas we share the ideas i had the original concept of what we wanted to do quality of wine style of wines um but it's it's barrels and we collaborate on all of it mm-hmm. uh but i mean when it comes down to the fine tuning ph adjustments blending mm-hmm. acid That's uh, acid her trials ph and she, it's she's phenomenal and also she's incredible in the vineyards i mean i know this much mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know a half inch and she's got a full foot of incredible vineyard info so i mean I can run around, I can see what's going on, I know what should happen, but she knows so much more. So it's really, it's an absolute, it's, it's a phenomenal team. So where are your vineyards? So right now there are six vineyards that we work with and the idea that I had early on was not to use any of these pedigree vineyards that mm-hmm. Costa Brown has or mm-hmm. William Salium has. Be or, your own thing? Well, find these little guys that needed some guidance mm-hmm. and they needed some help and it's not, it's not rocket science. At least in my opinion, viticulture is uh, being very observant, being aware, and getting ahead of the curve. So being proactive and not being reactive. And I mean, vines are weeds. I mean, they, they will grow like crazy. And you just, what other tweaks can you give them? What other nutrients can you give them? How can you guide them to make them a little bit better, a little bit healthier, and, and try to keep the vine in balance. So it's not growing like crazy uh, with its, its canopy or its, its shoots or its roots keeping everything in harmony so it really concentrates on that great quality of fruit. Mm-hmm. So finding these little guys, I mean, there are there are three vineyards that I work with in the Russian River that are, one of them is two acres, one of them is four acres, another one is 15 acres. 
they have been all very receptive to the guidance that Amanda and I will give them and opinions. And you also want to find in addition to that, these little guys, I mean, this is not, these are hobbies. I mean, you have to have 10 mm. to 20 acres to make this like a really viable okay. business. So you have to find people that are passionate, even when it's really their business, you want them to be passionate and really mm-hmm. care about what they're doing. So your single vineyard, your Appalachian wines you release in the spring, are they the a combination of your single vineyards in the fall or are they all different? Well, we don't have single vineyards yet. I thought you were getting single vineyards. We're, we are, we're getting them. Oh, you do Russian River and Sonoma Coast so each. right now we That's release, right. and, and this will be, this was something I've wanted to do years ago with mm-hmm. the other brands, but they were too far down the path. So Russian River, when we have a Russian River single vineyard or a, a different Russian mm-hmm. River blend, they'll all be released in the spring. That's right. Snow okay. Coast generally because mm-hmm. they have more acid. Mm-hmm. Hold on they to them a just, longer. They benefit by just having sure. six more months of time in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's how we are doing that. And okay. it's, it's been, uh, we, we would have had two awesome single vineyards with the 2014 vintage. But we would have gone from 200 cases oh, of each of yeah. those down to 20 mm-hmm. cases of each one with 15s. So talk about that. How many how many cases are you doing? How many did you start with in 12, and how are oh, you doing man. that? 2012, that first vintage, I think we had 230 cases. And then in 13, we had about 750. Oh, my God. And then in 14, we had about 1,250. And then with 15, smacked us right back down to 860. Talk about that. Oh, How come? painful. Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Fifth year of the drought. Mm-hmm. Um, but made for better wine. It Right? That, that, the 15 vintage was one of those vintages where good wineries made really, really good wines. Great wineries made exceptional wines. Mm-hmm. Because there was... Mother Nature did a lot of the culling of the fruit in the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was really bizarre. I mean, in all of my years of spending time being able to go out and work with other growers and other winemakers, the fruit was a little bit lighter. It looked lighter, but I've never seen there be such a shortage of juice in the berries. They were dense. The mm-hmm. skins were a little thicker, even though everything was smaller. I've never seen such a lack of juice. And that's from the drought. We, and, we, and we've never experienced this before. Even, even farmers that I know that have been farming since the 60s, when we had all these droughts in the 70s, vineyards weren't farmed or developed the way that they are now. They were broader, they were bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them were dry farmed. There wasn't a lot of irrigation, so they, the fruit was different. So now you've got these different systems for high quality farming, and no one, no one really knew what the heck was going on. Was yeah, I heard that in in France, all the dry farming, they want the vines to struggle. They don't want oh, to water them. They, you want them to suffer. And you so, want that to happen out here, too. So kind of pivot into what that means now for this year, because Press Democrat, our local paper, said that we had the wettest winter on record. We did. We did. So, I mean, should you be nervous? Does that mean it's going to double your production? Does it mean your berries are going to taste like water? I yeah. mean, what happens? Are you scared? Are you excited? Like. I'm always scared. And you know what's really, it was funny. I was talking about this the other night. I mean, it's one of those, uh, before owning, you know, having our livelihood attached to a brand, there were always different points where I'd be a little nervous. When I was working for Cost Brown or Williams, you're, you're worried about how people in the press are going to receive your wines every vintage. You're worried, you know, you hear your winemaker and the owners, you know, talking about their growers and harvest, and you're you're concerned but when you're actually your livelihood is on the line you're goddamn scared i mean it's really holy crap what's going to happen uh there, there were in 2005 we had a really really awesome vintage with the 05 vintage and then we had torrential rains in 06 so 
there was a lot of excessive growth. There was, and, and this is where you've got to collaborate with your growers and your farmers a lot. I mean, the first, we start talking, we spent a lot of time in the vineyards, spent a lot of communication time talking about where things, even if there, I mean, I, I've had, I've been on the road for five weeks, yeah. but we're doing video chatting. Uh, some <laughs> of my guys are out there taking snapshots and showing me where we're getting ready for pollination and bloom. But the big message has been, again, it's about trying to keep that vine in balance. There's going to be a lot of growth because the groundwater table is back up. To I mean, form. we still have green grass and it's June right there's now. still water. I mean, I was, I was driving <laughs> through Eastside Road. There's yeah. still standing water in yeah. some of the vineyards. Yeah, there are springs that are coming out of the side of our hill right now yeah. that are still flowing. So the biggest thing is making sure that we try to contain some of the vigor so there's not all this crazy growth. How do you do that? Well, you... You cut it you've back. Got, you've got, you've got, so you've got shoots. What we do okay. is a lot of shoot positions. Mm. You have um, you have four to sometimes six shoots on either side of the vine, and those grow up. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, trellising wires to contain them, developing the canopy over the fruit, but you don't want those to keep growing. They've got to be hedged, so mm. you've got to keep everything from just going absolutely... Again, so you minimize the amount of fruit that your vine produces. Well, that, that? that minimize, minimizes the amount of growth where it's going. Mm-hmm. Then you have the development, so you have you have uh, flowering, you know, bloom, flowering, and berry set. So yesterday I was out looking at some of our vineyards just to see how everything has set, because we've gotten to that point now. So the, the clusters start to develop, and they have these little flowers, and that is, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, that is damn scary, because you have significant wind, mm-hmm. you have a little bit of rain and some wind, or some hail, or and knock all that they off. can knock the flowers off. And then, I mean, they self-pollinate, mm-hmm. but if you have this crazy wind, you have crazy rain, it can cut your harvest in half. Mm-hmm. So then you're looking for, are there two clusters per shoot? Are there three? Is there a tertiary? Uh, is there something else around there? So then you're, you're trying to make sure you don't carry too much fruit, and mm-hmm. you don't carry too little fruit, because that can really screw up the vines also. So right now, I mean, we're seeing between an average of two, probably right around two clusters per shoot, at least in these two vineyards that I looked at, and it looks good. Okay. So now, I mean, and, and again, we haven't, there's been no irrigation. There's been nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it's... I mean, do you even foresee a time you're going to need to irrigate this year? Yeah, well, right now, after the, everything sets, that's when you want to give small doses oh. measured. But okay. now we have, you know, some, a couple of my growers have actually got... Uh, hydration sensors or the equipments oh. you can actually see and know the moisture oh. content as to where things are because it can be first five inches of topsoil is hardened like a rock and you go, oh my gosh we got to irrigate now well you go down a foot and it's very moist uh, and you don't want right. to irrigate so we're able to at least have a barometer in two of these vineyards to see how this is kind of evolving but it's the biggest thing is being proactive it's just not letting it go all the way until it's harvest time you go oh that's great Shoot, we cut have some of you know, back. 60 percent <laughs> more fruit and it all tastes very average and watery uh-huh. uh, which you don't want to have happen it's just trying to be on top of it cool okay yeah. so who do you sell to we sell like i mentioned earlier twice twice a year and mostly to our mailing list and how so do you get on your mailing list our website www.landowines.com uh, join our mailing list. It's not it's not a commitment to buy, and what I do is it's allocations. So, uh, for example, with only having two wines, uh, when we release the Sonoma Coast in the fall, most people will receive a four-bottle allocation of the Pinot Noir. And they're $45 a bottle. It's so not a commitment. reasonable. Yeah, it's, it's crazy it's reasonable. reasonable. Uh, and it's, it's not a commitment. 
but whatever you don't buy, there are other people that if they order their entire allocation, they can wish request for more mm -hmm. wine. So whatever is remaining unclaimed from allocations at the end of the release, I redistribute a couple of bottles here and there to the wish list to the wish list folks, and then that becomes a part of that person's future allocation. So oh, if you so were you allocated four bottles, you allocate bought one, you're not going to get offered the mm -hmm. Snow Coast again or the Russian River again. Mm -hmm. If you bought one bottle, awesome. I'm going to try and give you an allocation of one bottle next year when mm -hmm. we release that wine again. It's my perverse way of trying to be fair to everybody as sure. frankly as I can. So if um, so, can anyone get on your mailing list right now, or is there a wait? Uh, right, right now, anybody can get on, but we're really uh, to give you an idea. I mean, we have we have just over two thousand people on the mailing list now. Wow! And it's hard to tell Good analytically work. where uh, you know some people f prefer buying Sonoma mm -hmm. Coast, some people prefer Russian River, some people love both. Um, so, I mean, we see a good percentage, like 70, 80% people ordering. So, you know, you can do some loose math in your mm -hmm. head. We You're going to tap out soon. We have 325 cases of Sonoma Coast to offer. Mm -hmm. Not going to be mm -hmm. an easy thing to spread out allocation-wise. I'm kind of loathing putting Saying all that Saying no. Together. You're not someone yeah. likes to say no. It's it's going to be. You don't like to disappoint. I don't, but we and and the tough thing is we're gonna have we're gonna have a little more wine next year. I mean we're gonna be back up to fifteen hundred cases. Uh, probably gonna add a few different pinots to that. Oh really? It's gonna be exciting. Okay, yeah. shelf facts. I want to talk about that, but I want to know more mm -hmm. about um, where people can taste your wine right now. Oh, that's a great question. Like if someone um, if someone hasn't heard of Lando or had Lando before. And they're not fortunate enough to have people on the wine list that bring bottles over to share. <laughs> the only places right now, uh, I have a great relationship with a restaurant in town called Valette. Mm -hmm. um, Dustin, the chef, and his brother Aaron, who runs the front of the house, they're like brothers. Uh, they have our wine by the glass there. By it's, the glass? It's the Bravo. only place in the United States. And Sam. I specifically hold X amount of cases back. Just for and that. Sure. And, That's and, outstanding. And it's fun because they get to say they're, they're kind of like our tasting room. Uh -huh. There's no, we don't have a tasting room. We're not over the public. Okay, so if people um, want to taste Lando, they can go to Valette and go sit at the bar up there and the order bar. a glass. They can. They can do that. Very cool. Um, when I'm in town, I tell people they can send me an email. We do have our office here in Healdsburg where I try to see people uh, if I'm around. And you'll do private tastings? Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then occasionally at the winery, we have uh, the Custom Crush facility. We'll taste some barrels. Uh, but again, it's just me. I mean, we had you I had are plans. The winery. I had plans <laughs> to have an employee by now, but the fifteen vintage oh, just hi. robbed all of that completely from us. So <sighs> it's uh, what it's would that employee do? Would that probably kind of help you manage your Everything. wine Emails, list, your... list, data entry, customer service, the tasting, uh, tastings, all that. Help out with some of the vineyard. This is the person I'm going to hire needs to be a catch-all for everything. I mean, you are the brand. We've talked yeah. about this before. I remember I'm um, talking to you about your Facebook page and how it's your personal Facebook page, and I <laughs> offered Lando to make you is Lando. Yeah, yeah, I offer. I'm like, Sam, let's make you a Lando Wines Facebook page. You're like, no, I am it the is, brand. The brand is it, me. Yeah. Um, so. For thought, better or worse, either way. Um, yeah, but I can imagine that trying to find someone else to be an extension of you is going to be some oh, big crazy. shoes to try to fill. Even Jen, my my wife Jen, has wanted to help out with some emails. And I You're said, like, okay, no, no, great. no. So take a look. So at You're going to micromanage everything. Yeah, and I sort of, you know, here. So it's it's between you know 100 and 200 emails a day, and oh my God. I would say probably 50, maybe 60 percent of them are are current customers or friends of current customers and. And I love it, but I mean, their questions are fantastic. <laughs> where it's, 
gosh, Sam, do you remember meeting Mary Sue, my friend, who has a three-legged Labrador <laughs> in Biloxi, Mississippi? See, that would be really and specific because it's three legs. Very like, specific, it must get yes. Even more. Oh. Well, her her Labrador cupcake passed away, and and she was telling me how when you were there, then you enjoyed this incredible cost brown pinot noir and and then they had you know one of your pinot noirs so can you tell me what the difference is between your wines and theirs and what is your passion for pinot noir so i mean i was sharing this with jenna going how would you respond to this and she just she goes ah uh, i yeah yeah, yeah. so, it, so that's a you that that's, that's a, a you challenging thing. you know trying to find you know the balance between what i could parse out and it will eventually will have that happen okay so perfect segue then into how you're going to be able to do that you're saying this next vintage should allow um, greater production, yeah. so then greater production, more for sale, more revenue. Yes, thank you. And afford an employee. Hopefully, yeah. So that that next year, the plan. I mean, we've got in barrel right around fifteen hundred cases. We should keep my fingers crossed, be able to do a single vineyard wine and maybe a proprietary blend, which I've had some ideas for. How do um, you choose your single vineyard? Is it going to be based on what's tasting the best, right? Consistency. Then? So now we've had most of these vineyards we've been working with for four, at least four vintages. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to see the different clonal mm. flavors and profiles, uh, how like our that. barrel program works with them, and what we're seeing on a consistent view. Mother Nature should throw you know a thirty to forty percent tweak mm-hmm. every year, but for the most part, you've got a good idea between what the grower is doing, what the vineyard managers are doing, uh, what we're doing, to where you you've got you know something feels good, and we have two of them that feel really good. Can you talk um, about them, or are they a secret? Not yet. There's not secret. yet. There's Stay secret. tuned. Okay, so um, oh, that's so exciting. You were saying that you um, that you were going to branch into some other Pinots. So those are the ones you're talking about. So right. some single vineyards. Would you ever get out of Pinot or or broaden beyond Pinot? Yes. Like what? This, this year, well, one of the things I want to be really, really emphatic about, and this is not only from the consulting, but working with all these other brands. I wanted people to know that when they hear Lando, to think Pinot. I wanted a steak to be in the ground where people go, oh my gosh, that's a good Pinot Noir producer. Mm-hmm. But I also love Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And I like Burgundian styles, Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're gonna do a little bit of Chardonnay this vintage. Really? And so oh, that's a surprise, cool. It's uh, really, really exciting. And then also, I mean, later on down the road, I like Russian River Zins. So we will do some Zinfandel couple of years down the road and okay. just being in this area you know being in this industry for 24 years 25 years there are so many good grower friends that I have oh, sure. that are just there's access to great quality fruit and you know we will continue to push the envelope on everything with Pinot Noir okay um, special request for rosé please we were just talking about that last Ooh. night and, and it would probably that would probably <laughs> be a different brand it would not be under okay Lando. interesting and uh it's really funny because it's a name that Jen has come up with. And again, it's one of those I can't share the name. Oh, okay. You'll have to ask her because it's, it's not, we don't have a label yet. We don't have a trademark or a Okay, copyright. yeah, keep it secret uh, then. But damn, it's funny. I mean, it's it's going to be, it, if we're able to. Oh, fun. Be, we'll we'll do something like maybe 25 cases this year, maybe, yeah. of our bleed off juice. And cool. And make it true, like just a fun, quirky yeah, yeah, yeah. little rosé. I and, love that. We'll see. Sam, this is so fun. Yeah. I am so proud of you. I'm so Thank excited you. to see your journey. It seems like everywhere you go, people know you, love you. You are just a walking marketing machine, wow. like forever, forever talking about your brand and Thank so you. passionate about what you do. And and it, you can taste it in in wow. the wine, Thank like you. your wine. Everything, every brand you've been behind has been something that's been 
I think, easy for you to stand behind because it really it's been like it's truly luxury brands. Well, and that, the, the coolest thing, I mean, I've, I've always, I never, I mean, from the time I started this many, many years ago, way back with Allied Demec or the Wine Alliance back then, was I never wanted to advocate something I didn't like or love. And it's so, it was, it was especially easy at William Selling and Costa Brown. But I mean, to, to be able to do that for, for your own for me, brand, for that's us. so cool. I mean, when I did my first winemaker dinner for Lando, <laughs> that was so surreal. And it was so weird where <laughs> I'm going, so cool. this is the weirdest thing talking about myself because I'm so used to talking about everybody else. It's so fun. And it's just, it's really, it's, it's just an absolute treat. And it's really, I feel so fortunate. Well, I'm so stoked for you. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing your story. Absolutely. And so if people want your wines, they can go to www.landolandowines.com. Awesome. Thank Join the you. mailing list.